good morning. I just want to say a few words about these friends that were up here with us. Um, Leah and Danielle Whitten, who were down here, uh, their family used to be members of Redeemer Community Church. Their daddy Richard and mama Carrie uh, Whitten carries with them today. Richard is in Romania as we speak. For years, um, Richard has done mission work over in Romania, and he is there now. And um, the, the, the seeds of world missions planted in Redeemer back at the beginning, 1998. And then, of course, when Brian Halila, I'll come to him, but he was the second lead pastor here at Redeemer. It began to blossom even more. And then I came in 2008 as lead pastor, and Richard Whidden uh, was one of the great lay leaders within our church that pushed us more and more into a passion for world missions. And so we're, we're excited um, about that. Um, of course, we love Nathan and Tina Keller. We're so happy to be partnering with them. Brian and Joe Halila, as I just said, Brian was the lead pastor here before I was. And uh, we have partnered with him before I got here and since then. And we just absolutely love it. And he's been one of my greatest cheerleaders over the last nine years. And it's been awesome. And then Scott Ulrich, 16 years in Bulgaria. The last couple of years, they've been back here. He's with a new organization now, but it is our joy every Friday morning at our men's Bible study. Scott is there, and I sometimes think of him as E.F. Hutton. When Scott speaks, people listen, you know? He's kind of quiet, and then when he speaks, man, all ears on Scott. But now, we have a new nickname for Scott. Do we not, Justin? And you guys that are there on Friday mornings, how perfect is the beast? Not Revelation, the beast, right? But the beast. Scott is a beast, for the Lord and in the Word of God, and so that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, it is our mission to joyfully follow Jesus and help others do the same. And helping others do the same, by God's grace, extends to the ends of the earth. We say that we're passionate about a handful of things around here. We're passionate about God's glory. And we hope, if you're new here, if you stick around that that'll be one of the things you smell around here, is that we love God in all of His greatness and all of His perfections and righteousness. We love the glory of God. We're also passionate about His gospel, the good news that through His Son, Jesus Christ, His life, death, and resurrection in our place and for our sins, that life comes. The forgiveness of sins and life from spiritual death comes through Jesus Christ. We're passionate about his gospel. We're also passionate about his word, week in and week out, whether from this pulpit or in our classrooms and community groups, we want to turn to God's word and tether all that we do to scripture. We're passionate about God's people. We want to love the people of Redeemer Community Church well. And then finally, we're passionate about God's mission. Missiologists have said for a long, long time, Missio Dei, God is on a mission, and he calls a people, his church, into that mission. And so as we have thought about our strategy or how we'd like to engage that mission of joyfully following Jesus and helping others do the same, not only here but to the ends of the earth, our strategy is worship gatherings, discipleship groups, service teams, and mission circles. Worship gatherings, that's what we're doing right now. We gather to worship our God together and hear from his word. And discipleship groups, smaller groups of men, women, 
couples, the like. Face-to-face where we can encourage one another and spur one another on to love and good deeds and pray for one another and the like. Service teams, serving in kids or students or worship or whatever to help us accomplish our vision. But then mission circles, that it all has a missional movement to it. Worship gatherings, discipleship groups, service teams, mission circles. Those circles, my circle, our circle, and the world. My circle. I want to live on mission with Jesus in my circle where I live, work, play, and passion. I shared with you a couple of weeks ago, I've got some guys on my circle list that I pray for. And if you were here, I shared that one of the guys on my list that I've been praying for, he and his wife came over to our house in a, in a hustle a couple of weeks ago because they were having a marital spat and trouble. And they came to Tara and to me to talk. And I didn't really see it, but Tara later said, Mitch, I wonder if they came to us because you've been praying for them. It was really cool. Well, I got another story. A week and a half ago, another one of the guys on my circle list that I pray for, he's another neighbor of mine, pulled up in his pickup truck the other day and said, hey, can we get together and talk? I have a friend who committed suicide, and I went to his funeral, and it was at a church, and as the pastor was speaking, the whole time he was speaking, I was thinking of you. Can we get together and talk? And so last Thursday in my office, we met for an hour and a half. I got to share the gospel with my neighbor. Are you thinking about your, my circle, your circle, where you live, where you work, where you're passionate about, where you play, the people far from God in your circle, praying for them, getting to know them. When God opens doors, sharing your story and the story with them. Well, mission circles, my so- circle, our circle, that's the geography around this place. God planted Redeemer Community Church right here, and it's no accident. But then finally, the world. We want to be a people. Worship gatherings, discipleship groups, service teams, mission circles, my circle, our circle, and the world. We want to play our part. As a church, we want to put our brick in the wall of what God is doing among the nations. I'm so excited about this missions weekend. Our mission team dreamed it up and put it together, and it's so wonderful. Hopefully the first of many to come, a weekend where we just zero in on God's calling upon our lives, our collective life as a church family to be involved in world missions. If you have a Bible, I want to just have you glance at a couple of verses in First Thessalonians. These will form simply a launching point for a number of different thoughts coming from no one particular text. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Paul had planted the church in Thessalonica. He had moved on to plant a church in Berea, to plant a church in Athens, to plant a church in Corinth. 
And from Corinth, he wrote this letter back to this church that he had planted not long beforehand to encourage them, to comfort them, and in chapters 4 and 5, to instruct them. And here's how the instruction begins in chapter 4, verse 1. Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. He's going to get into some specifics in verse 2 down through 8 about sexual morality. He's going to encourage them to excel still more in that area. And in verses 9 through 12, in love and in working and not taking advantage of others, he will encourage them at the end of verse 10 to excel still more. And in verse 13 down to 18 in relationship to their grieving over lost loved ones. And so chapter 4 verse 1 becomes a heading, if you will, for that which is to follow. You've been obedient, but excels, excel still more. You're doing well, but do more and more. That's how other translations have it. That's probably the better translation. Just do more and more in the same kind of thing that you're doing. And it's under that heading that by God's grace, let's do more and more when it comes to living on mission with Jesus, not only in your circle and in our circle, but to the ends of the earth. I want to share with you six big ideas this morning that hopefully will inspire us, maybe compel us to do just that. The first is this, that God is passionately committed to his fame. His ultimate goal is that his name would be known and praised and enjoyed among the peoples of the earth. Matthew chapter 24, Jesus said, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world. This gospel of the kingdom. It is the word of God's reign. It's the gospel about the kingdom of God. That he and he alone reigns. That his son Jesus Christ has triumphed over sin and death and judgment and Satan and guilt and fear. It is the good news that not we are king, but that God is king. In Isaiah chapter 52, a familiar verse, How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news who announces salvation and says to Zion, your God reigns. It is the gospel of God's reign that we proclaim to the nations. It is God's aim that the nations might know it, that they might know of Jesus Christ, that they might admire him and honor him and praise him and exalt him and follow him. In Romans chapter 9, whenever the Apostle Paul is going into that high doctrine of God's absolute sovereignty over all things, he speaks to Pharaoh 
and says, for this reason I raised you up, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Isaiah chapter 12, make known his deeds among the peoples. Proclaim his name. Proclaim that his name is exalted. Again, God is passionately committed to his fame. That the peoples of the world would know of him, would praise him, would exalt him, would trust him, would enjoy him. In Romans chapter 15, Paul was speaking of his role, what God had done among the peoples. He said one of the reasons why was that the nations might glorify God for his mercy. The nations, the peoples, would glorify God. I think it's a good thing for us to remember that this is God's aim. That the peoples all over the world would know him and exalt him and find all of their joy and satisfaction in him. Because God is the greatest thing, if we can say it like that, in all the universe. No one of us could say what God says. Look to me. Exalt me. Praise me. Find your satisfaction in me. Because for any one of us to say that, it would be a complete untruth. We are not worthy of exaltation. We are not worthy of praise. And satisfaction, deep-rooted satisfaction, cannot be found in us. It would be unloving for any one of us to call upon the nations to glorify us, to find their joy in us. And guess what? It would be unloving for God to do that as well. It would be unloving for God to direct our attention and the attention of the peoples of the world to anyone or anything other than himself. He is the greatest joy. He is the greatest salvation or satisfaction. He is the only one who is worthy of all honor and glory and praise and dominion. And so it is the most loving thing for God to say to us and to the peoples of the world, glorify me, exalt in me, find satisfaction in me. God wants the very best for the peoples of the world. So he longs to give them himself. Secondly, what is so wonderful about God's passion to be known and praised and enjoyed among the nations is that his purpose in this cannot fail. It is going to happen. Jesus said this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world. The grounds for this is Jesus, risen from the dead, saying to his people, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. All authority in heaven and on earth belongs to King Jesus. Risen and exalted at the right hand of his Father in heaven. He rules over everyone and everything. Satan will not thwart his plans. The demonic realm will not thwart his plan. No human despot will thwart his plan. No laws against missionary work in any land will thwart his plans. It will most assuredly happen. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Isn't that awesome? Psalm 115, my God is in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. No weapon formed against him will prosper. He will accomplish his purpose. And if Redeemer Community Church, if we as a church family are disobedient in the calling to engage in God's global plans, it is not his purpose and his plans that will lose. He will not begin to shake in his boots. He will not get nervous as to what will happen with his purposes because we dropped the ball. He and his plans will not lose. We will lose. We will lose. What John Piper says about this is, hmm, quote, we can be drunk with private concerns and indifferent to the great enterprise of world evangelization. But God will simply pass over us and do his great work while we shrivel up in our little land of comfort. Have you ever thought of yourself as drunk with private concerns and indifferent to the great enterprise of world evangelization? God is doing something massive among the nations. And oh, how far too often am I drunk just with everything else rather than alive to what he's doing. Sobered up to what he's doing. And so God aims to be glorified, exalted, praised, enjoyed by the peoples of the world. And his purpose to that end, most assuredly, will happen. And I keep saying peoples. Third, the missionary task is focused on reaching unreached peoples or people groups. For some of us, this is old hat, but for others, maybe it's the first time you've heard of this. Jesus said, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. The Great Commission as we know it, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And if we're not careful, we begin to think of nations 
as America, Nicaragua, Germany, Ethiopia. But thankfully, missiologists and linguists and theologians have helped us to realize that when the authors of the Bible used that phrase, when Jesus used that phrase, nations, he's speaking of people groups. Ethnic groupings with cultural and language distinctions that make it hard for the gospel to spread naturally from one group to the other. What this means, and I'll say it in just a minute, but that within any, given, within any given country or nation, as we might say it, there are multiple people groups. Multiple ethne is the Greek word. Whenever you read the Old Testament, you read the phrase, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. That's probably getting real close to it, if not nailing it. Those groups of people did not live very far apart. But they were different ethno-linguistic groups. Today we might speak of the Ojibwe or the Berber or the Fulani or the Kavarsin. A people group that we have adopted for long-term prayer. International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention estimates, along with their good friends who do this kind of thing, that there are 11,490 people groups in the world. 11,490. Of those 11,490, they estimate that 6,700 of them are unreached. So over half the people groups of the world are unreached. And, when, and they, they're fairly technical when they speak of an unreached people group. It's a, it's a group of people. And then among that people, less than 2% of the population is what we might call an evangelical Christian. They've heard the gospel, believed the gospel, and have grown up in the gospel in such a way that they want to communicate it to others that they might know of Christ and be saved. Less than 2%. So of the 11,490 people groups, 6,700 of them all over the world are unreached. Among those unreached, we speak of those that are engaged or unengaged. An unreached people group has zero or less than 2% of, of Christians among them. And therefore, they don't have enough stuff, if you will, among them to, to do the work among their own people. They're in need of outside help. If the evangelization of the people group is, is going to happen, and so... Whenever there is outside help that is on the ground with them, that unreached people group is now engaged. There's somebody there. There's a worker there who's been a believer for a long time or is more equipped and trained and is coming alongside those few believers, engaged with them, discipling them, training them, doing evangelism, doing discipleship with the hopes of reaching more and more. 
of the 6,700 that are unreached, either no believers or less than 2% believers, some 3,000 of those not only are unreached, but they're also unengaged. There isn't somebody from the outside who's there. Now, groups like the IMB tell us that those 3,000 people groups make up 1 billion people in the world. 1 billion people. Nobody in their people group, or very, very few, knows of Jesus. And nobody from the outside is there to tell them. They're unreached and they are unengaged. And that's why good folks like Brian Halila, who used to be able to go to the Caucasus region of Russia and do ministry among them, but who got kicked out and can't go back, is now giving every bit of his energy as he can to get churches like ours to adopt one of these people groups of the Caucasus region of Russia. These unreached and unengaged folks are all over the world, but but Brian is holding in his heart the Caucasus. Just to give you an idea, among the Caucasus, one, one of the districts, if you will, of the Caucasus region is Dagestan. He guesstimated yesterday, maybe it's the size of New Jersey or so. Within just that region of the Caucasus, there are 30, at least 35 people groups. So the task of missions is not only to win individuals, but by God's grace to reach all these different people groups in the world. We'll talk about it in a, in, a, in a bit, but this is why this is unbelievably difficult work. Because guess where all of the unreached, unengaged peoples live? In the easy parts of the world or the hard parts of the world? They live in the hard parts. And I'm getting ahead of myself, but, but to take the gospel to them will be hard. Revelation 5, worthy are you, Jesus, to take the book and to break its seal, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, ethnic. We also are partnered up with Greg and Beth Ann Carlson with Wycliffe Bible Translators in Vanuatu. Vanuatu is an island nation. It's made up of 83 islands. It's 500 miles east of Australia. 83 islands strung together. On those 83 islands, some 200,000 people live. Just over 100 languages it's the most linguistically diverse place on the planet. I just read this morning that the Caucasus region is in many ways just like it. One of the most linguistically diverse places on the planet. Michael Harrington and I went to Tana, the small island, if you will, of, of Vanuatu. Some 20,000 people live there. 
six different languages on one island. So, reaching unreached people groups. is one of the more formidable tasks, and if not the point of the arrow of world missions, that among the unreached peoples, they would become reached. The gospel would take root there. The church would be planted there, and that church would begin to be able to reach its own people group without the need of outside help. That's why, number four, we want to pray for all types of missionaries. But maybe if we might give precedent to pioneering frontier missionaries. And some will point to Timothy-type missionaries and Paul-type missionaries. Timothy in the New Testament, was from Lystra. And he came to know the Lord, and he began to show himself a great reputation. And so Paul, on his second missionary journey, said, Hey, Timothy, come join me on my missionary journeys. And so Timothy became a, a partner with Paul on these journeys. But eventually, uh, Timothy settled down in Ephesus. Uh, this was not Lystra, where he was from, and so it was a different place. And he was there for presumably many years, living in a new place outside of his own culture, but many years working with the church that was already established in Ephesus, teaching and training and sending out all around the area. That's one type of missionary, and oh, praise God for them. Those who will leave home and go to a new place to take what has been entrusted to them and to be a blessing in some other part of the world where their gifts are so desperately needed. But then there are, if you will, Paul-type missionaries who say, as he did in Romans chapter 15, I want to preach Christ not where he has already been named. These are the kind who say, where are the unreached peoples? Where are those that are unengaged? I want to go to them. And so Paul never stayed in one place terribly long. In his missionary journeys, he would go into a key city. He would lead people to Jesus. He would plant a church, and he'd say, okay, y'all got the evangelization of the place. It's yours, right? Yep, okay, we got it. Okay, good, I'm gone. I'm going to go somewhere where Christ hasn't been named. And he would go into a new city and he would lead people to Jesus and he would plant a church and he would equip them for a bit and he'd say, okay, y'all are going to evangelize your city, right? Yep, Paul, we got it. Okay, good, I'm going on. May God raise up among us. Both times. Maybe it's you. Say, I'm old. If you're still breathing, you're still in the game. Maybe God wants you to leave here. Go there. 
and to take all that you've been entrusted with. Maybe it's a place where the church already exists, but they need someone like you. Maybe it's a place where no church exists. They need somebody like you. Well, it won't be easy. It appears that God has ordained suffering as both the price of missions and the means finishing his purposes. Matthew 24, to his disciples, they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> right? If you were to go and to try to penetrate an unreached people group, there will be trouble and tribulation and hardship. Maybe death. They will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you. You will be hated by all nations because of me. But it appears also that not only is that the price of missions, but maybe even the means. Here's an interesting verse from the Apostle Paul. Go ahead and look at it quickly. Just one book to the left, Colossians. Chapter 1. In verse 24, Paul says this. Paul's in prison. So he has suffered much in his career, if you will, as a missionary. Writing to those church in Colossae. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. What does that mean? I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh, in this body that suffers. I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up or in completing what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Here's the best I've seen on what Paul probably means by that. Go to your left, just one book, to Philippians chapter 2. Paul is in prison. It's the same imprisonment that he wrote Colossians from. And while in prison, he received a gift, financial gift, no doubt. Maybe they brought him a blanket. Maybe, maybe they brought him some food. But he received a gift from the Philippian church. And a fellow named 
Epaphroditus was the one who brought it. So Epaphroditus was at the church in Philippi, and the church had, had put together a gift. And they said, okay, Epaphroditus, can you carry all this? Yeah, I got it. Okay, good. And Epaphroditus left Philippi and traveled all the way to Rome, suffering as he went, and, and got to Rome and was able to deliver the gift to Paul. And Philippians, it's four short chapters in a word or two. It's a thank you letter to the Philippians for their participation in the gospel. Not only at that time, but for many, many years, this church had been so generous to Paul. So verse 25 of chapter 2, But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. So Epaphroditus had come, and then they had heard that Epaphroditus was sick, and so they were worried about him, and so Paul says, I'm sending him back to you. Verse 27, for indeed he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I have sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy. And hold men like him in high regard. Because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. It's the same phrase as Paul uses in Colossians. So apparently what this means is that the Philippians had put together this gift so generous in what they had Done. But if you will, it wasn't complete until it was delivered. And so Epaphroditus completed what was deficient, what was lacking in their service. They, he didn't add anything to their gift. He simply was the one who delivered it. And he came close to death to do it. And so back to Colossians 1, maybe that same phrase that Paul used there gives us an understanding of what he means in Colossians 1. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body in filling up, in completing what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Christ came, Christ lived, Christ died, Christ rose. He accomplished this amazing gift. And through Paul's suffering to deliver it to the peoples, he's filling up what was lacking in Christ's afflictions. He didn't add anything to the work of Christ. That would be heresy. but he delivered it and suffered along the way. Missions. I'm sure these missionaries, these workers would tell us, isn't simply an interesting cross-cultural experience. Hey, you ought to go into missions. It's an interesting cross-cultural experience. 
Jesus said, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. And in Luke 21, They will put some of you to death, and you will be hated by all because of my name. Yet, not a hair of your head will perish. I got you, Jesus said. So God wants to be glorified among the nations, and he's going to be. But there are many of these nations, people, groups that are unreached and unengaged. And maybe God would raise up some of us. Maybe God would raise up you, you young people, talking to you. Maybe God would raise up some of you. But if you go, it won't be easy. It won't be cute. It won't be cool. You may die. But God is glorified in this. Especially when we trust Him in the midst of it. Paul said, this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. That is a persecuted, suffering, missionary writing. This slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. He said in Romans 8, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Let's pray. Father, would you help us at Redeemer do more and more, excel still more in your purpose to be exalted, glorified, worshipped, among the peoples of the world. Show us how to engage more. Show us how to pray more, how to give more, to learn more, to go more, to send more. Show us how to be good stewards of the people that you have sovereignly made up this church with, the gifts, the, the talents, the abilities of the men and women, the boys and girls of this place, how do we, how do we use it for this good work? 
And Lord, would you give each one of us as individuals um, just the willingness to go before you and say, Lord, what would you have me to do? What more would you have me to do? God, may this weekend birth something. Not that we contrive, not that we force, but that you just, you birth it. Something bigger, something better, something more. For your glory among the peoples. We pray again for our missions partners. Oh, your good hand upon them. Fruitfulness in their work. And joy in the midst of their suffering. And we'll pray all of this in Jesus' strong and mighty name. Amen.